Joining me today, the filmmaker from the United Kingdom, Miss Hannah Rothschild, discussing her new documentary, The Jazz Baroness. Next on the Dusty Wright Show. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Bennett Media Studio. For all of your production and event space needs, visit 723washington.com. Joining me today on the Dusty Wright Show, we're very honored to have, all the way from merry old England, Hannah Rothschild. Hannah, welcome. Thank you. Very nice to be here. We were talking off camera about our mutual friend, David. So now that we have a commonality, <laughs> now you can really open up to me, Hannah. Okay, well, okay, now of course I feel completely warm yes, really now. you know that I've been drinking with a boy. And <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> well, things I don't know what you got up to, so I'm, I'm, I could be on curious. the back foot here. Yeah, yeah I, could be, I could be a little bit nervous. Is here. this guy a good guy, or I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, if you give me a chance, I could have called him and said, is it all right? Well, this is part of the things, uh, part of the problem or the issue or the concern of being in this business long enough, you run into everyone. Ultimately, oh, you meet right? them, right? Okay. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> That's my guess. But anyway, well, enough you. about me. Let's talk about you. Oh, I, we don't have to. Well, no, I think you've done a wonderful service to the world of jazz and to your family name and the legacy of your great aunt. Thank you. By producing this documentary, The Jazz Baroness. Thank you. Um, you know, I had this discussion with a friend the other day. Why is it that uh, Americans have abandoned an art form that's indigenous to our country? And maybe it really never got the foothold uh, that it once had in the 30s and 40s when jazz music was dance music, when it was the popular music of the day, where people would really engage in the art form. I don't know. I think I mean, jazz originated here. It is, isn't yeah. it the great American art form? I mean, it's certainly the great score to you know, many decades sure. in, in America. And I think maybe you knock it a bit. I think, in fact, not only did you invent it, or I should... Well, this is a very, very political hot potato here, so one has to be slightly Good. careful how you handle it. Because after all, some people say that it's, um, you know, it's nothing to do with America. It's to do with you know, certain immigrants coming from Africa and, and that the Americans appropriated. Mm. After all, it's nothing to do with them. Right. So we could get into very, very, very tricky we territory could. here. Yeah. Do you want to go that way? Because I don't feel quite confident about this argument. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'd, you know, an expert like Gary Giddens, who's devoted his whole life to jazz, would probably talk the point better than I could. As a jazz fan and, uh, and someone who's followed jazz his whole life, yeah. you know, I can, it's, it's very apparent that it's been co-opted by white folk. Yeah. Uh, and that always has bothered me. Is, you know, at, at one point, everyone enjoyed it. It's not that no one can enjoy it, but you know, there's always a phase of music where it's enjoyed by the mass population, then it dips down, and it's, and it's just the purists who are into it. Yeah, no, I think. Well, I think it, it, it has become a big political issue, hasn't it? Yeah. About about where does it come from? Who does it belong to? And as you say, one might just say, well, it should be enjoyed and loved by everybody. Right. But I don't think I don't think there's anything unpolitical anymore, is there? Well. Okay, well, that we could go. Yeah, into that's a we, whole could, other we could thing. go off somewhere. And now we're getting into that. a new discussion about the politics of the day. Okay, right. But, so let's know, not go. Let's there. talk about the politics of the day when your your great aunt was championing the cause of Thelonious Monk mm. and, and some of his uh, uh, of his bandmates and you know this this whole world of bebop jazz, which was so incredibly rich and dynamic, mm -hmm. and really turned jazz on its on yes, its ear. Very it much was so. really just. It, jazz at that up to that point had been you know about involvement and give and take, Absolutely. and then it became a really lean in, 
introspective right, art absolutely form. Right, absolutely right. Well, I think you know there were many contributory factors, but one of the major ones. I mean, it started obviously before the war, but the rise of individualism and the kind of century of self. After all, Freud, you know, his teachings were coming over here. So that, you know, there was a much heavier accent on the individual, on individual expression. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly what, of course, Monk, Parker, Gillespie were responding to. Plus, nobody could really afford to keep those huge big bands going anymore. Absolutely. So, you know, you couldn't, there, wasn't, there wasn't the money, post-depression, you, know, you couldn't possibly have these enormous bands going. So actually, they had to play in smaller and smaller groups. Now, if there is a big band, I suppose you can keep a whole evening going. If there's four of you, you've got to improvise to fill up a few spaces. Yeah, yeah, very good point. And, you know, oftentimes the geniuses of the day aren't recognized until after the fact. Very much. There's always a small group of devotees who say, wow, this is really something unique. This is special, regardless of the genre. Very much uh, so. And to your aunt's, great aunt's credit, Danica's credit, she recognized that genius. Yeah, well, in, in fact, in you Monk. see, Monk had a particularly hard time. I've just been reading Robin Kelly's biography of him, and mm -hmm. he makes the point that actually, you know, Parker and Gillespie, by the way, who Monk thought he taught them everything. He said, you know, they didn't teach me nothing. Right. He said, you know, I taught them everything. But they were doing quite well. They were getting record deals. They were selling out clubs. They were this and that. Meanwhile, Monk couldn't get arrested. Well, actually, that was the only thing he could do. <laughs> he could get arrested. Right. He got arrested. You know, he got he got arrested with Bud Powell. Lost his cabaret card. Poor man. There was one terrible story where he was driving and um, he stopped his car and a cop came up actually to see if he was all right. And Monk, who is you know rather kind of eccentric character, decided not to answer him. And he got shipped straight off to Bellevue to a mental asylum yeah. and was not let out for four weeks. I mean. He had an unfortunate time, Monk, I right, was about to say. Yeah. And she did hear something. She heard in his music something that, you know, the critics weren't hearing and a lot of his colleagues weren't even hearing. And just to, I mean, she ostensibly abandoned her family to embrace this world, this... Well, it, you know, listen, it is the oddest story, and even I can say it's the oddest story. She was in New York uh, on holiday. The family were living in Mexico at the time. She had five kids and a husband. And she stopped off on her way to the airport to see her friend Teddy Wilson. Teddy Wilson, a pianist, and you obviously know all about him. He had taught her brother piano, kind of strange, whatever. And he said, have you heard this record by Thelonious Monk? He put it on the turntable. She listened to it 20 times in the row, and she never went home. I mean, now that is eccentric by anyone's whatever. So she decided to stay in New York. Of course, being a Rothschild, she moves into a rather nice suite <laughs> in the Stanhope Hotel. She's not slumming it down in the village. No, right. she's up opposite the Metropolitan right. with quite a lot of room service, one imagines. But she hits the clubs and she goes to try and find Monk. Right. Now, Monk, of course, at that time, isn't out there because he's lost his card. So he's right. sitting in his tiny two-room apartment in, in San Juan Hill, if that's how you pronounce it, you yep. know, whatever. Um, what was the question? Because I've now I've gone off on one, so I can't remember what well, it was it you were was, asking. You know, me. your great aunt recognized, and you know, she abandoned the family. She was so inspired. There was something that moved her soul. Yes, and it wasn't are. this great love of a man. It was it was about an entire envelopment of a cultural phenomena, I guess. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, she. I think I have to be slightly careful here, but I mean, she did, I think it's fair to say, abandon her husband. And um, her eldest daughter came with her to New York when she moved here. And then she tried to get custody of the younger kids, and they eventually, they did follow, you know. Right. 
So, because um, I know the children get upset if they think they were abandoned. I don't think that was her intention. But she, um, yeah, no, she, she came here lock, stock and barrel. And, and, you know, she didn't go to kind of Park Avenue or whatever the kind of posh places were. She went downtown. Right. And she totally embraced the lifestyle. Of course, you know, a lot of kind of, you know, uh, people are looking outside behind curtains, you know, what is going on? You know, who is this woman? And, I mean, I don't want to spoil the film, because I, what I would like people to do is to really spend the time with the movie on I'd HBO. I'd love you to do that, yeah. uh, And then hopefully buy it, because I think it's one of those things that's, it's, it's so wonderfully rich in the history of the jazz world scene of that time and that era. And then, of course, your, your great aunt's uh, story and how she mm. intersected that world. Uh, what was the biggest uh, surprise for you when you were making the documentary? Well, I think, you know, number one, you know, be careful what you listen to, that, that, that one track on one album can make you change your whole life. I mean, that was surprising. And without drugs. Exactly. I mean, we, we all know what we can do with drugs, but this is, yeah. you know, sober. This was, you know, mid-morning. Well, right. I'm assuming sober. Right. sober. Right. Um, and then, of course, there's the other extraordinary story that, you know, she drove Monk down to Baltimore to a, to a gig, and um, he wanted to use the bathroom, so they stopped at, you know, one of these motels, and the guy behind the desk got a bit spooked. Now, Monk, I think, you know, six foot two, big guy, grunts a lot, does little dances everywhere. The guy got spooked. I don't know whether it was a racist attack. You know, Charlie Rouse said, definitely racist. It's mm. gone up to me, I wasn't there. Um, but anyway, the cops came. They found a tiny twist of marijuana, 10 bucks worth. She said it was hers, into jail. Now, the easy thing for her would have been to have said it belonged to one of the others. Right. That would have been the straightforward thing, but no, she wasn't the kind of person who's going to take the easy life. She said it was hers. She gets banged up, you know, and then she faces deportation, ten thousand dollar fine, you know, being cut off by her family. I mean, after all, this is a woman who had absolutely no idea how to earn her own living, so right. she was dependent on, you know, her family to support her. Hmm. I would have been a little bit more careful, I think. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I might have thought. Mm. <laughs> And within the family, what, how, you know, was it like, this is our crazy sister for your no. other aunts? No, 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 this was just, this is just not talked about. It was just oh, no, completely no, no, no. shelved. No, oh, sorry, you know, what are we talking so about So how, now? who brought it up, how did you well, my, become intrigued with this? Well, you had to hear a story as a young girl or something about your aunt, you know, great aunt Nika and... No, no, it was nothing. My grandfather decided, you know, because he was that kind of guy, he decided he was going to make a list of all his relations. Right. You know, as far back. He went as far back to a wonderful name woman called Guttel Schnappel, because it was a great name. So they came from the Frankfurt ghetto, you know, which was a tiny little street this wide. Right. And he decided he was going to trace it all back. And he sent every single member of the family a copy of this tree. It's right. Called what you call it here, but we call it a tree. Anyway. Family tree. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. So I looked through it and suddenly I saw not only this wonderful name, Pannonica. Right. She was like, really close relation. So, excuse me, who is she? Anyway, so that's how I first got involved. And how long ago was that? I was tiny, I was 10. You know, right. bored, lonely, you know, rainy day in England, just what's new. Um, so, um, and, uh, and then, you know, the stories, I, I tried to find out more about her, but there wasn't much written down. And then you'd hear little rumors, you know, she flew Lancaster bombers in the war, you know. She lives with black men, you right. know. Charlie Parker dies in her apartment. I mean, the more I heard, the more I thought, I've got to go and meet her. Right. I've got to, you know. 
wouldn't you? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And when did you get to meet her finally? I finally got the BBC sent me here uh, to do another story, and I looked her up in the phone book, rang her up, I said, I'm your great niece. And there was an incredible silence, and then she goes, Wild. <laughs> I thought, that's my kind of girl. Yeah. And when was this? Was this in the 80s? This was in 84. Right. And uh, we went downtown to a club. Uh, she said, meet me at 12. I assume being the great aunt, okay, already in her late 60s, I'm thinking a cup of tea before lunch, you know. <laughs> no, 12 is 12 midnight, midnight okay. <laughs> she said, how do I find it? And she said, just look out for the Bentley. <laughs> anyway, so downtown, okay, it's 23rd Street, so we're not talking Alphabet City. Right. But not, you know, I'm an English yeah. girl, not very savvy. And in the back of the cab, this, that, and the other. And, and I'm going, could you just look out for the Bentley, please? And the taxi driver's like, what? <laughs> anyway, there it was, this very badly parked car, kind of halfway across the street. And then you go down, 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 knock on a door, and a grill opens. And they go, what do you want? I'm sorry, my American accent. I'm that's trying, good, that's but it's right. not very okay. It works. Okay, good. As long as it works for you, that's yeah. all that matters. So, um, and then I said, I'm here to see Pannonica. You know, kind of, oh. So I said, Nika, oh, the Baroness. Yeah. And the door opens and down. Dry ice. Down. Literally, <laughs> yeah, you know, you can see the whole thing. I'm thinking Meryl Streep or right. whoever it is. It's right. not Meryl Streep then. Jean Harlow or something. <laughs> what do I think? And, and, and there she is. And she's sitting there as the piano. Right. Of course. And she has a teapot and she... Pours me some, I think, tea. So I take a great gulp. It's whiskey, yeah. <laughs> splutter, and that was the beginning. And then it kind of went on from there. So this, this has been in development for a while. Uh, <laughs> tragic. Well, some of the f footage, tragic, obviously. Yes. You know, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. Listen, I keep. I, I, the part of the problem was that I couldn't finish it because it was so interesting. Right. I didn't know how to. You wanted more it. and more perspective more and more. from more people. And by the way, these guys are fantastic. Yeah. You know, they're really fascinating, and so that you think. Maybe I will get that interview with so and so. Right. And keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And then finally, you think, you know, you are sad. You have to finish this. <laughs> so anyway. So how long? How long is? It? <laughs> fifteen years. Fifteen years. Yeah, that's quite sad, wow. isn't it? Have you done anything fifteen years? I've got scripts that are that old that okay. you keep polishing and you hope, you yeah, pray yeah, that yeah, you yeah. know oh, someone's going to read it. You know, you have to. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I'm. I, no more contemporary scripts, though. If they're fables or period pieces, then you don't have to polish them anymore. Oh, what, because you think it's all right? Yeah, you, yeah. Oh, well, now we have cell phones. You know, they were 15 <gasps> years ago, right? It's like the orange ads. I love that. You know, <laughs> Joan of Arc on a cell phone at the <laughs> stage. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So, so the BBC, were they hard to convince? Or yeah, it took nine years. It took them, even though I was working there, even though in theory, you know, I had an inside track. Right. You were doing documentaries for them. That did. Really? Okay, and why? Jazz. I mean, like, it's like, you know. Like but you would think that the BBC who champions this, this, these art forms and these genres of mm. music would be you a would. lot less re reluctant than, let's say, PBS or, you know, Ovation or IFC. Yeah, I don't, listen, I don't know, what, either I'm the world's worst pitcher, I know you're going to, that's going to baseball term, but, I, or, you know, I don't know what, but they just didn't get it. And right. then, I was very lucky, I met the one person, this guy called Nick Fraser at Storyville, who got it, he just got it's it. Like, he boom, said, that's it. Yeah. Whoa. And then he showed it to Sheila Evans at right. HBO, and she got it. So suddenly it seemed very, very easy. But I can promise you, 10,000 hours. The 10,000 hour rule. 15 years, 10,000, probably more. Is that the rule? Well, that's the book that, you know, the 10,000 hour. You have to devote 10,000 hour to your craft. As, Is that? I yes. didn't know that one. Who's, is yeah, this your book? Uh, now, who wrote the book? Anyone? Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. 10,000 hour rule. Yeah. yeah. What Malcolm Gladwell tipping point? Yeah. yeah. I yeah. haven't heard that one, 10,000 yeah. hours. 
That's so depressing. So I, I don't know if How I've, many years I, is that? I don't know if I've hit any of those plateaus for any of my projects. I'm hoping I'm closing in on them. You know. How, yes, how many years is 10,000? Have you done the math? How long is that? No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, oh I can't God. even add two and two, so don't worry, I think I can get 10,000 hours. I'm not quite sure. Uh, in researching, were you a jazz fan? No. All right. No, I mean, I say Are no. you a jazz fan now? Yes, I had no choice. No, it's now it's part of my DNA. It's been right. so imprinted over 15 yeah. years. No, I mean, I loved Louis Armstrong, I loved swing, I loved the kind of, you know, Sarah Vaughan, Ben Webster, the melodic right. jazz. Right. Bebop was like, oh, God, yeah. what's happened? You know, they played it back to front or something. So it did take a long, long time to, to get it. Do you get it? Do, you like Do it? I get it? Yeah, I love yeah. it as a musician, I think, because you appreciate how difficult it is to play yeah. the scales that they're playing the mode and then in the modalities they're playing, and you're just like, this is very impressive. So you become maybe... Uh, a more uh, focused listener, yeah. where someone else who's not really a musician yeah. would say, like, this just sounds like noise. Well, I think, I think that's it. I think for some, I mean, I'm not a musician and, and not particularly musical, so it was very, very difficult. And then someone said, get Monk playing Ellington. Just get that one record, right. listen to it 20 times, and you'll never look back. And it was the best piece of advice I ever had. Right. And now, actually, if I have no monk, I'd listen to over and over and over and over again. Yeah, but even Round Midnight, I thought, was pretty easy to get into, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, no, Round Midnight, fair enough. Round Midnight is, and there are a couple of other ones like that. But on the whole, you know, the kind of intricacies of, of right. some of them. You know, to really get the subtle... I mean, Round Midnight, for example, is, although on one level it sounds like quite a straightforward track, right. actually, isn't it? it? It's very, very complicated. It, it is, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and hence, incidentally, why there's some quite good descriptions of even someone like Miles Davis and Sonny Rollins not getting it, mm. having to practice over and over and over again to get that. Yeah. You know, well, you know, it's like, it's like a great painter. The brush stroke of one artist is not the same yeah. as another. So yeah, striking right. the keys a certain way, and as you, you make point in the documentary, he played in between the, the cracks, keys, the cracks. Yeah. And I love that because that really yeah. defines his style. Absolutely, and then with every bit of his body, so he suddenly yes. got the elbow and the... I mean, there's no long, it was no longer elegant. He was like attacking it, yeah. you know, like Jackson Pollock throwing paint exactly or something. Exactly right, you know? that's exactly right. And the great big fat fingers come splodging down yeah. and yeah. these heavy rings and they're kind of, you know... So it becomes a kind of physical bodily act, doesn't it, the yeah, whole thing? definitely. And apparently that dancing, a lot of the dancing is about keeping time and about, in fact, you know, staying awake perhaps and... Now, you know, I, interesting. The, the doc could have been just on Monk or just mm -hmm. on, your, on your great aunt. Yeah. But yet you make this documentary that, uh, I guess it starts in 52 and ends yeah. in... Uh, well, 88, it ends when eight, she, 88 when, when she, she Well, it really on. starts when 13 when she was born, but it's the, the, the most, the, the, the concentrated section, yeah. exactly, the meat, exactly. It's in the middle. Yeah. And I, I thought, God, this could really be a three-part documentary if you really... I'm sure you have enough footage that you can Yes, expand. well, I'm, now, I'm writing the book now for um, Little Brown and Virago in England because there was so much material that I couldn't get in there Right. that I then thought, right, I've got to write the book. And it was I couldn't really let... The subject was too interesting just to kind of let go of. Now, do you think the younger generation will be able to get into this story? Or do you feel like this is a documentary that's going to have a particular demographic that's going to say, yeah, wow, I... Are those access points there? I hope so, because I hope that it's an extraordinary... I mean, I would hope that I've succeeded in making a story that's very, very human and, and about love as well as right. about music, I would hope. And I hope that maybe it would introduce people who don't know Monk's music to his music. 
you know, just because, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, we're so, it's, it's much easy, easy in our culture, isn't it? It kind of blares at us out of everywhere. So to actually have to sit down and listen to something quite difficult, I hope maybe it'll, you know, transfix people perhaps in a way. I think it will. I think I, it, I was so. just like, I had one of our uh, young interns watch it. He was just riveted. He oh, was good. Just like, yeah. So I think that's always a good indicator. Do you do, you, do, you do jazz music or what's... Do I do jazz music? Yeah. No, my music's more like David's. You know, okay. more Americana, yeah. rootsy. Yeah. Jazz is far too, too tough. It's very, I mean, it requires, the ten, again, 10,000 hours. You're yeah. really going, going to apply yourself in that world. Well, it's interesting, actually, because although it looks like it's improvised, um, again, Kelly makes the point that it was each song 10,000 hours. I mean, they, they played it, rehearsed over, it over and over, over and over and over yeah. again to make it look as if they hadn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. What's the next project? I've just done a film about um, an insane Quentin Crisp type interior designer called Nikki Haslam, uh -huh. who kind of... Um, so I've just, and actually that went out on the BBC last night. It's, uh, it's very, very, very silly. It's glorious. It's the antidote to this. So it was like, <sighs> big sigh of relief. Big sigh of relief. Flamboyant, Literally, fun. it's parties, yeah. it's Paris Hilton, right. it's Russian oligarchs, it's, you know, it's silly. I think I did one of the last interviews with Quentin when he was living. Did you? Yes, for one of the East Village magazines years ago. And what an extraordinary Isn't he interview that was. Oh, oh my God. I was so happy to have the, had the opportunity. Because he was wish a true I'd met character. Him, yeah. yeah. True, true character. No, I wish I'd met him. Yeah. He's, um, I think, you know, that a lot of things about documentaries is capturing people. You know, we might not even appreciate them during their lifetime, but afterwards we'll think, oh, why didn't I film that person? Or Right. Now, the documentary world itself, I mean, it seems like you go to a film festival, documentaries seem to be a very easy entry point for a lot of people who want to. Mm move into this world yeah. of uh, art. Uh, is that a good thing? I mean, everyone's got cameras now. We have so much digital noise on the internet. There's, you know, things are being thrown at us in every direction. Yeah. Well, I think everyone's got a novel in them. Everybody's got a film yeah. in them. And, and in fact, now, you know, listen, if I can make films, which I do, I shoot them myself. I do the you know, sound, the lighting, or the lack of. You know, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I think that, you know, the good ones hopefully always rise to the top. Mm. It's like anything, isn't it? Right. You know? But although the technology makes it easier, as you well know from music, it's not actually that easy to make a good one. It's not that easy mm. really to, to turn out something that's going to get people's attention. Yeah, it's getting to that next level. And that next, yeah. that next rung of yeah. the ladder is very, very it difficult. It is difficult, isn't it? Very difficult. And I just think, you know, even with the internet, I mean, I know, I'm sure you've spent time on the internet. It's a great resource for... It's fantastic, isn't it? It's the, it's the glow, it's bigger than the Gutenberg Press, I always yeah. say, you know. How, how much do we love YouTube? Well, I mean... <laughs> everything actually, and anything. Everything. I mean, Every, I was like, I don't know what I'd do of an evening uh, without YouTube. You know, and my kids are just, they don't, TV is... Not the TV's e dead, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like dead. computer games, internet. Oh and, you know, a couple of other crazy things. But also, I don't get how they can do that. They can be on the internet, on the telephone, yeah. doing their homework in theatre, or so they promised me, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, writing a Brandenburg symphony or whatever it is, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they can do that, but I suspect somebody of our generation, you know, we're a bit more... We're not wired that way. No. No, and I wonder, like, you know, ADD, is this a direct result of just... It's got to be, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely, just pulled. So when they go to school and they have to be very rigid and prim and, and so, proper. It's yeah, in, how do they do that? They, they can barely contain yeah, themselves, yeah. barely contain themselves. But I, I, think, I think, you know, good things always come out. I, I mean, that I hope good things will always rise to the top. Good right. stories will always find an audience. 
Absolutely. Well, until yeah. my next film, anyway, it probably won't. I'll, get, I'll try. Thankfully, it won't be 15 years, <laughs> this arduous journey. I've got 15 years left, oh I mean, God's sake, I mean. I mean, that is, you know, mm. that in itself is a wonderful story, that you had, you know, that climb with this. And it, the end result, though, is it's just such a beautiful... Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm really pleased It's a like very to touching know. documentary, and I don't say that because we have a mutual friend. Well, I'm sure... That I don't care if that's the reason you <laughs> say it, all right? I'm, I'm really delighted. Whatever the reason is you like uh, it, I, Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I get that you do like it, yeah. and I'm very, very pleased that you do. Was there anything that you left out, maybe? that I always ask filmmakers, was something you left out that you just thought, God, maybe I should have put that back in, or I'll oh, do it when God, the director's really, cut? You got all day, I mean, literally. Right. I think I think I just have to let go of all that stuff. Right. It'll go in the book, I suppose. Read the book. All right. How's that? All right. Hannah, <laughs> Hannah Rothschild, The Jazz Baroness, HBO, and et al. BBC. How, how many docs are on the BBC? What? Ten. Of mine. Produced. Oh yeah, at least. Go at on. least ten. And and more to come. More to follow. I bloody hope so. Yeah. Sorry. And I, I do hope so. Indeed. I don't swear to indeed you on television. Yes. <laughs> and hopefully somebody options the Jazz Baroness and makes it into That'd the great... That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That'd but who would nice. play Monk? Oh, God, this is a good game. I the did have casting. one... Who would play your aunt, great aunt? Hmm. I like Natalie Portman. Oh, yeah. What do you think about Natalie yeah. Portman? She'd be great. Yeah. I, had a very, I did get hauled in, I can say this because I won't mention the name, by a particular very well-known film company run by two brothers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I went in to see it. The two brothers, by the way, weren't there. But this, uh -huh. this guy was there who was young enough to be my grandson. He was right. so young. And, right. you, know, you know, you go to meetings after a certain age and they yeah, are oh like, you know, whatever. And so I did my pitch and I was so passionate. I did really, really well about this, something. And then he said, I can't see the poster. So I, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. So I moved out of the way. And there was nothing on the wall behind me. And he said, no, 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 no. We can't make the film because I don't have any idea about what the poster oh should God. be. That was the beginning and end of my Hollywood oh Jazz Baroness experience. Anyway, I hope the documentary... It's a silhouette of your aunt, and it's a silhouette of Monk. There it is, your yeah. great aunt and Monk. That's well, the, the, by that's the way, the, the poster. HBO poster is beautiful. Well, you should send them the poster. Yeah, it is beautiful. <laughs> Sign the poster and send it to him. <laughs> I think I will, actually. My, my grandchild, whatever his name was. I can't remember his name. Anyway, that was about it. Okay. Well, Hannah, it was a pleasure meeting Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, darling. Okay. I'll see you soon. Hope so. Dusty oh. Wright, the Dusty Wright Show. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Miss Hannah Rothschild. In the background, little felonious monk, an unissued version of Panonica, a track that he wrote for Hannah's great aunt. It's off the Thelonious Monk, the Columbia years, 62 to 68, on Columbia Legacy. And I hope you enjoy the Dusty Wright Show. If you'd like to subscribe for free in our iTunes directory, type in Culture Catch. Hit the subscribe button and you'll get all of our audio and video webcasts for free. And of course, we have written reviews in all areas of the arts every day at culturecatch.com. This is Dusty Wright. Converge is the word. Okay.